Hello and welcome to this final part in the Ecclesiastes series here at Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name is Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC and my hope is that you're approaching this, uh, this session having looked at the previous four already. I'm looking to sort of bring things to a conclusion with this particular uh, passage uh, at the end of Ecclesiastes, so it's um, chapter 12 verses 9 to 14. Uh, before we look at that we are going to pray. Lord we ask that you again open your heart to us and let us see you in your beautiful completeness. We know there's only so much of you almighty God that we can take and yet we want to know you, we long to be close to you and we long to follow Jesus, to walk beside him, to obey him. So would you open our hearts too, or allow our hearts to be opened, that we might allow ourselves to be changed by your scripture, by the revelation of who you are, by this Bible and particularly by these verses. Bless us, we pray, and with your Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're reading from the very end of the book and these last uh, well we'll start with verse 8 in chapter 12 and we'll read to the end everything is meaningless says the teacher completely meaningless keep this in mind the teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew he listened carefully to many proverbs studying and classifying them the teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly the words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Now this is the last part in a series that has a kind of a subtitle, which is Life in All Its Fullness. And that subtitle deliberately looks at Ecclesiastes as a book that tells us the whole truth about life, doesn't pretend it's something it's not, is honest about the inconsistencies the heartbreak and loss, the mystery, the uncertainty. But also, it's, it's the title that deliberately looks to Jesus' words, that he came that we might have life in its fullness, and recognises, not least in Jesus' own experience, that life in its fullness came as a result of suffering. It came through a place of death and hardship of injustice too. And so we hold these two things together and we recognise the value of what Kohelet says. Now Kohelet is the guy whose voice is heard most through this book. Verses 1 of chapter 1 and verses 9 to 14 of chapter 12 are the author's words. Kohelet, the teacher or the churchman or the congregation leader, whatever you want to go for with that translation, is the one who does the talking all the way through the book until the end here until this concluding bit and the author who's reflecting on this stuff having written it down to share 
uses these words. The teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. And then he goes on to say that wise words are painful but valuable. Painful like a nail-studded stick that you might poke at a sheep to get it to move. That's perhaps tricky for us because we're not really keen on the idea that being disciples, being followers of Jesus, those who trust the Father, might sometimes need to be put through something painful in order to go in the right direction that we need to go in. It's part of the reason why my task, my responsibility as pastor is quite tricky. I'm supposed to be someone who confronts the people of God, who pokes them with a stick and says, no, 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 you need to go that way. Now, I think probably for a lot of pastors, certainly me included, that kind of confrontation is difficult. But it is necessary. For wisdom to be passed across, sometimes it needs a cattle prod. It's really important as well that we pay heed to those words of the author who says the teacher was considered wise uh, and expressed truths clearly. Because when we get to this summary in verses 13 and 14, it can be tempting to say, well, if we've got a conclusion, we don't really need to dwell too much on the bit in between. We know what the outcome is. And the outcome is uh, fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. We go, well, that's it then, isn't it? Well, yes, but also no, because these are the conclusions of the author having listened to everything that Kohelet has to say. And those things include that critique of Proverbs, that critique of tidy doctrine or, or you know, um, sensible causality. You know, X is followed by Y is followed by Z. When actually what Kohelet says is that life is not that tidy. And even though God is the ultimate one who judges, and even though people will be faithful to him or will be wise or will be strong, that doesn't necessarily mean things go well for them. So those things need to be remembered as we reach this conclusion. Yes, the author says, here's the conclusion, fear God and keep and obey his commands. But the author is also saying, don't forget those wise words that Kohelet has shared. That life is complicated. That this meaningless idea that there's this hevel, this vapour, this, um, this sense of mystery, enigma, smoke, intangible, kind of not able to grasp stuff. And all of that is part of what we need to remember that life is like. Life here under the sun. Under the sun is a phrase that he uses over and over. Life here under the sun is fleeting and often doesn't seem to mean much. Or at least if there is meaning it's hard to find or grasp. So there is that call to fear God, and there is, I think we said in, in, in our first session, this idea that possibly what this book does is deconstruct all other attempts at meaning. Actually, what I think it mostly does is say, where you think you might be able to provide control or, or gain control, remember that you can't. Remember that you don't have control over time passing. You don't have control over when you die. You don't have control over whether or not your strength will keep you safe or whether or not your wisdom will save you from difficulty. You don't have any control. The only person maybe who does is God. Maybe. The only person who does have control is God. But whether or not that you believe he, that means he intervenes 
in the day-to-day things uh, in a way that means that your life is always good if you trust him. I think Kohelet says that's not the case. So where does this leave us? How, what do we take away? How do we, how do we finish this look? I want to highlight um, uh, Immanuel Kant quote, back to philosophy again. Kant says this, it is beyond a doubt that all our knowledge begins with experience. Our experience, the experience that Kohelet encourages us to have, the life he encourages us to live is one where we have an integrity. And I think that really is the thing that the author who refers to uh, my child who seems to have some kind of father-like attitude to the reader that's what he's looking for it's about integrity it's not about winning it's not about controlling it's not about things always going well or always going badly it's about the integrity that says in the middle of all this chaos all this hevel all this vapor likeness do i have integrity do i can I, can I say to myself, I know I have been trusting of God. I know that I haven't looked first to my circumstances for my identity. I've looked to God for my identity. Have I first of all said, if things are going difficult for me, then God must have abandoned me? Or am I saying, I know what life is like and I know that God doesn't abandon me. So in the middle of whatever it might be, my integrity is my faithfulness and my trust of who God is and what his character is like. It's this honest reflection on life that leads to Ian Proven, the, the commentator I've quoted in each session, to just write this one sentence. This is the only sentence I'm quoting from him this time. He says, that is why in the end this book is somewhat messy, non-linear and non-systematic. And that's because life is messy, non-linear and non-systematic. I think, I think what Kohelet encourages us to do, and the author reminds us of the wisdom of it, is to say, if life is messy, I'm not going to be lazy in how I expect it to work. I'm not going to be lazy in how I treat people. I'm not going to be lazy in making broad generalisations about philosophy or expectations or politics or anything. I'm not going to be lazy in making broad generalisations about how parenting should always happen or how marriages should always happen or how society should always work because life is messy and non-linear do you remember way back when we were looking at those holy verses in chapter 3 for everything there is a, a, a season and we said that although although there is a real sense of um, contentment and reassurance in knowing that everything has its time there's also this awareness that things just go round and round in circles or they just go backwards and forwards and repeat themselves it's in the middle of that kind of life that really what the author is, is saying in reflecting on Kohelet's teaching is are you going to have integrity in the eyes of God and actually that's what counts most because if you have integrity in the eyes of God then you will have integrity in the eyes of the people around you Ecclesiastes is not a missional book. It's not there to tell anybody why they should trust God. But it is there as, as a way of gathering the people of God and talking to them. It is there to say, there's real life going on all the time. And there is a godly perspective on that and a godly response to that. 
And it's a response that isn't limited to how can I stop bad things happening? Or how can I control what my future is going to be? Or how can I control other people and how they live their lives? None of that. The integrity comes in our faithfulness to who God is and his presence in our lives. Life is messy and life's meaning is like the mist. So learn to live for the Lord because no other response makes any sense at all. And your living for the Lord will sometimes mean seizing the moment to enjoy. Some of you might remember a film uh, starring Robin Williams called The Dead Poet Society. And there being this key moment where, and there's an explanation of carpe diem, this idea that you seize the day. And I think Kahelet is telling us to do that. Seize the day, but seize the God-given day. Seize the God-given enjoyment. Seize the God-given opportunity to find him in the storm. Seize the God-given opportunity to turn the painful circumstances of heartbreak and loss in a real, genuine world. Turn them and make them face him and say, how are you present in this? How are you going to walk with me in this? And to allow integrity that we have to reflect the character and goodness of God. Our response to the world around us, the life lived around us, does not have to fit tidy boxes, does not have to fit or follow a predetermined course. And the reason for that, I'm going to quote Jesus in Revelation 1 verse 8. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And everything that goes on between beginning and end, Alpha and Omega, is within the sovereignty of Jesus. It's under the watchful eye of one who is compassionate by nature, who is tender in heart, who gives grace without end. He is the beginning and the end and everything in between already under his care we do not need to control one moment of it only thing we can do is respond well and with integrity to the situations where we find ourselves and honor god in doing so let's pray lord jesus we give ourselves to you we pledge to walk with you we recognise you as author and perfecter of our faith. We recognise you as beginning and end. And we call to you. We cry to you. Be present in our pain. Be meaning in our heaven. Help us to know purpose and joy in our lives. And to help one another to do the same. And in all things, be obedient to you and your Father, through the power of your Spirit. Amen. Okay, we're doing three questions. For the 
first question I'm going to borrow a quote that you'll have seen on countless posters uh, or in gift shops or whatever else that says this. Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass, it's about learning to dance in the rain. What is your rain and how might you learn to dance in it? Question two, what threatens your integrity? What are the things that put your integrity at risk? What are the things that threaten to keep you away from that faithful obedience to God? Question three, what are your lazy generalizations? How are the ways that you see the world that are just about generalizing what people are like or what situations are like? And how do you let the joy of the Spirit speak into those generalisations and dissolve them? Okay, that's it from me. That's the end of our series on Ecclesiastes. I do hope that we have um, found something valuable in walking together through this book. I do hope that you've uh, been able to enjoy the opportunity to wrestle with it and perhaps to get a different perspective on life as a result. I'm going to pray one last time before we part company. Lord, would you help us to know that joy, which is peace dancing, and that peace, which is joy resting. And to know these things as a response in the middle of a life that is so often hevel, meaningless or vapour-like, hard to grasp. And in the middle of all of those challenges, would you help us put our trust in you our father who loves us and in you our brother jesus who died for us amen take good care god bless and i'll see you soon